Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK, designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. This episode of Your Torah is dedicated in memory of Maureen Kendler, Hadassah Mindel Bachava Sara Vermordechai. She loved Torah, pursued Torah, and taught Torah to all. Hi, I'm Anne Gordon. While I have spent most of my adult life learning and teaching Torah Shabbat of late I've been in a position to pay a good deal of attention to leadership in the Jewish community. So it is personally meaningful to be able to learn this tractate, Horayot, with you today, as that is exactly what this last tractate of Seder Nizikin is all about. Masachet Horayot is often translated as decisions, or more precisely rulings, which is to say the decisions of the court. It is another tiny tractate that comes at the end of the Seder. So often the organizing principles of the Seder were logistical, putting the long, heavily discussed material first. In this case, the three chapters of the tractate are unusual in this section of material that so heavily focuses on civil law. For while this tractate of rulings of the court belongs exactly here, it is largely distant in the content of the Mishnayot from our daily life practice of Judaism today, at least as compared to some of the issues of damages and ownership that dominate the beginning of the Seder. The tricky part, of course, is that the court that is a given in the Mishnah does not exist in our modern world, nor does the temple or the means of animal sacrifice. We should note that that was the case in the time of the Mishnah as well. The discussion of which sacrifice to bring in the event that the court makes an error, and all the accompanying consequences of people having adhered to the incorrect decision, was not part of the daily lives of the sages of the Mishnah any more than it is today. Rambam's explanation for the placement of this tractate as strategic is a valuable comment for any era, however. Namely, after the ethics of the judges, that is, the previous tractate of a vote, presumably the most learned mesechet of them all, which of course guide judges and all who learn a vote to conduct themselves in an ethical and upright manner, we have the clarification of what to do in the case of error. That is, the placement of the tractate is an implicit recognition of the fact that human beings, even Dianim judges, are susceptible to plain old human error. He called me Shiyesh Boteva Basar, because any person who has the nature of the flesh, all humans of flesh and blood, it is simply impossible that we can live and not make mistakes and sin. This is what I mean by commentary on leadership as well. We're enjoined to try to do our very best. That's Avot. And then, when we err, we have Horayot. So our Mishnah discusses what the court is supposed to do when it hands down a decision in error. That is, when carrying out the court's ruling entails violating halacha in some way. The answer is pretty much the default for how Judaism dictates rectifying any kind of religious error, though the default isn't actually applied in every circumstance, namely with karbanot, animal sacrifices to God in the temple. The Torah, in the book of Leviticus, Sefer Vayikra, chapter 4, verses 27 through 35, addresses the case of a person who has sinned in error and how that person brings a sacrifice in restitution. When a person sins inadvertently, under some circumstances the correct korban is a goat. In other circumstances, the Bible tells us, one is to offer a sheep. An important distinction is drawn between violating the halachot regarding idolatry, avodah as compared to all other averot, transgressions. The same chapter in Vayikra includes the case of when all B'nai Israel engage in some mistaken practice because they were so told. Ve'im kol adat Yisrael yishgu v'nalam davar me'enek ha'kahal v'asu achat mikol mitzvot Hashem asher lo ta'asena v'ashemu. And if the whole congregation of Israel shall err, 
the thing being hid from the eyes of the assembly, and do any of the things which Hashem has commanded not to be done, and are guilty, when the sin wherein they have sinned is known, then the assembly shall offer a young bull for a sin offering, and bring it before the Ohel Moed, the tent of meeting. This offering is called the Par Ha'alem Davar, and those who follow the edict of the court are actually exempt from bringing it, according to the commentary in the Mishnah. Our Masachet addresses when the court is obligated in this korban, and when it's exempt, as if they were regular people who had transgressed Bishkaga without meaning to. The tractate goes on to address the cases of the Kohen Mashiach, the anointed priest, as well as the Nasi, the prince, or more administrative head, who have transgressed without meaning to. What korbanot are they obligated to bring, and when? The end of Seder Nezikin discusses which animal sacrifices are to be brought by whom under which circumstances. It is a nice segue in the Talmud as a whole to the next Seder of Kodshim, replete with a discussion of how to handle the dedication of physical offerings to God. The first parak of the Mishnah opens with a basic case. Horu beitin la'avor al-achat mikol mitzvot ha'morot b'torah, va'alach ha'yachid va'asa shogeg al-pihen, ben sh'asu va'asa imahen, ben sh'asu va'asa achareihen, ben sh'lo asu va'asa patur, mibnei sh'tala b'veitin. If the court issued a ruling to violate one of the commandments mentioned in the Torah, and an individual went and accidentally did so on their instruction, whether they did it and he did it with them, whether they did it and he did it after them, whether they did not do it and he did it, he is exempt because he relied on the court. If the court issued such a ruling, an error, and one of them knew that they erred, or a student who was capable of ruling knew that they erred, and he went and did it because of their instructions, whether they did it and he did it with them, whether they did it and he did it after them, whether they did not do it and he did it, he is liable because he was not relying on the court. This is the rule, the principle. If one relies on himself, he is liable. If one relies on the court, he is exempt. I will not go so far as to say ignorance is bliss. I really don't believe that. But when it comes to accountability, those who know more are held accountable for what they know, even when the Dayanim tell them otherwise. They are expected to hold their own, even in the face of an incorrect edict. One might look at this as a reason to remain in the dark, and therefore not be responsible for any wrongdoing you might be subjected to at the instruction of halachic authority. Alternatively, one might find in this Mishnah the argument to become as knowledgeable as possible, so that you can know when to stand up to an incorrect decision by the court. Now we're going to jump through segments of several Mishnayot, in hope of getting a real feel for this short Masachet. You may have heard me say before, Learning Mishnayot is a superb vehicle for additional points of entry to other areas of halacha, and Horayot is no exception, especially as the cases of potential error can be far-ranging. The next mission we're going to consider relies on a key principle of the oral law in general, which is the degree to which B'nai Yisrael value the mitzvot. The same way that nullifying a mitzvah of the Torah is straight up considered a false vow, it is also a given that B'nai Yisrael would not listen to a court instructing them to do away altogether with a mitzvah from the Torah. Perak Aleph Mishnah Gimel Horu beitin lakorat kol aguf Amru eini da b'torah Ein shabbat b'torah Ein avodah zarah b'torah Harei elu piturin Horu levatel miktsat u lekayem miktsat Harei elu chayavin 
שנאמר ונעלם דבר, דבר ולא כל הגוף. If the court issued a ruling to uproot an entire section of the law, if they said there's no Hilchot Nida, there's no laws of family purity in the Torah, there's no Shabbat in the Torah, there's no prohibition against idolatry in the Torah, then they, the members of the court, are exempt from steering people wrong. The assumption being that people would know that that is a wrong instruction and they would not abide by it. If they issued a ruling to nullify part of an area of halacha and uphold part of that same mitzvah, then they are liable. That is, if the court's ruling accepted the existence of the given mitzvah and simply changed its parameters or the details of its application and so on, then the court would be held accountable. The next mission deals with the configuration of the court. In line with Rambam's recognition that human beings are inherently given to error, this Mishnah recognizes that not all Dayanim, judges, are created equal, so to speak. Perak Aleph Mishnah Dalet. Horu beitin v'yada achad men shata'u v'amar lahen to'in atem o shelo haya mufla shel beitin sham o shaya achad mehem ger o mamzer o natin o zaken shelo ra'a lo vanim harei elu p'turin. If the court issued a ruling and one of them knew that they erred and said to them, you are mistaken, or if the expert of the court was not there, or if one of them was a convert or a mamzer or a natin or an aged person who has never had children, they are exempt. That is, if the judges issuing the ruling were simply not the most adept at their job, and some of these categories do seem pejorative, so we'll acknowledge that and leave the investigation of them for another time, then the court is not held responsible for its error when the experts are not available to supervise, for example. The way this is learned is what fascinates me. As it says, congregation here in Vayikra, Eda, and it says congregation, Eda, later on in Numbers, the book of Bamidbar. Just like the congregation, Eda, mentioned later on, refers to those who are all capable of issuing a ruling, so too, congregation, Eda, here refers to those who are all capable of issuing a ruling. This Gzerashava, that is, a word that appears in two unrelated contexts in the Torah, and some detail of the one context is therefore extended to apply to the other context, is a famous one, at least the word itself, Eda. Eda, Eda is part of the analysis that derives that a minion, for davening, Torah reading, and more, must be ten men. Working off of the verse that says, V'nigdashti betoch b'nei Yisrael, this whole discussion appears in Masechet Megillah, and it's more complicated than our Eda Eda here, it requires a second Gzereshava of Toch and Toch to reach its conclusion. I don't want to delve into this comparison too deeply, but I do want to note that this term, Congregation Eda, is fodder for several useful and important teachings. The term Eda brings us to the Eda of the spies, who are sent out by Moshe to spy the land of Israel. They were called an Eidara'a, a bad congregation. And since two of the twelve spies were good, they reported back with praise for the land of Israel, that's Yehoshua and Kalev, we understand that the bad congregation means ten, ten out of the twelve. In this case, in our case, Eda brings us to the congregation that judges capital cases in Bamidbar, chapter 35. What intrigues me here is that the term Eda is not only not ridiculously uncommon, it's not uncommon, which would make linking its context logical, but it is used often enough to refer to different groups of people. And yet, the oral law in this written law is clearly to derive halachot from the term. 
One of the principles of the textual Gzeir Shava is that it is not a logical inference. We need that tradition to instruct us to learn from one case to the next. And there is great potential for mishap or misapplication among all the different edas. We can make an error if we did it on our own without that tradition. And indeed, we have many different congregations among B'nai Israel. The next mission, in fact, addresses how widespread an erroneous practice can reach among B'nai Israel or among the tribes of B'nai Israel, and what sacrifices are required depending on how many have participated. Perk Bet Mishnavav. Here we have the breakdown of the sacrifices that one is to bring depending on the sinner's identity and the transgression. Kol hamitzvot shebatorah shachayevin al zdono karet va'al shigigatan chatat. For all the commandments in the Torah, that if they were done on purpose, one is obligated in excommunication, karet, and done accidentally, one is obligated in a korban chatat, hayachid mevi kizbav usira, an individual who has accidentally transgressed, brings a female sheep and a female goat, hanasi seir, the prince brings a male goat, hamashiach uveitin mevi'in par, the anointed priest or the court would bring a bull. With idolatry, which has different rules, as I mentioned before, and an individual, a prince, and an anointed priest bring a female goat, and the court brings a bull and a male goat, both, the bull for an ola offering that is entirely burnt, and the goat for a korban chatat. Paragimel Mishnah Gimel, and this Mishnah is explicit in how it establishes the responsibility of leadership. Leaders who sinned before they were appointed and afterwards were appointed, they are treated like a hedyot, like a regular person, a commoner. Rabbi Shimon says, if it became known to them before the appointment, they are liable. If it became known after the appointment, they are exempt. A leader may not become a whole new person in taking on a new role, but the expectations and responsibilities change dramatically. One who is culpable as a private citizen, that subsequent appointment to leadership does not change that accountability. Though Rabbi Shimon distinguishes between when the transgression was committed and when it became known, presumably he maintains that once one holds the leadership role, one's status is subject to the demands of the job, so to speak. And now to the last three Mishnayot of the chapter, which are the last three Mishnayot of Masachet Horayot, and also the last three Mishnayot of Seder Nizikin. With these Mishnayot, we bring the Seder to a close. First, we have the principle of that which is most common, Tadir. For the most part, the general rule is, Tadir Vishayno, Tadir, Tadir Kodem, when there's a question of which of two things should take precedence, that which takes place more frequently, more commonly, more often takes precedence. One application of this principle that may be familiar is when two days have conflicting demands. There's a Torah reading for Hanukkah, and there's a Torah reading for Rosh Chodesh. So for Rosh Chodesh Tevet, which falls out during Hanukkah, which reading do we read first? The more common one, namely Rosh Chodesh. When Shabbat and Rosh Chodesh conflict, Tadir might also apply, but so does the next mention in this Mishnah, that which is more Kadosh, more holy, takes precedence. Here's the Mishnah. Anything that is more common than its peer takes precedence, supersedes its peer, 
Anything that is holier than its peer supersedes its peer. If the bull of the anointed and the bull of the community are both standing waiting to be sacrificed, the bull of the anointed supersedes the bull of the community in all of its processes. The question of precedence is so often a matter of decision-making and often enough requires the ruling of the court in the too frequent case of conflict. The next mission attempts to streamline that a bit, though you may not like its ordering. A man takes precedence, supersedes a woman to be kept alive and to return a lost object to. A woman supersedes a man to be clothed and to be freed from captivity. If they both stand to be disgraced, the man supersedes the woman. All other things being equal, and this Mishnah does not deal with exceptions, of course. A man's life takes precedence, and a man receives his lost object before a woman receives hers. She would be given clothing before he would, however. This is not the misplaced emphasis on sniut, on modesty, that is so prevalent today, but a solid application of protecting the woman's dignity. Similarly, a woman who has been taken captive is redeemed before a man would be redeemed for fear of malfeasance against her. If, however, they both are on the verge of being disgraced, the man is saved first. This seems a good time to remind ourselves that we do not paskin from the Mishnah, not even from the tractate with decisions or rulings as its name. And now, finally, the famous hierarchy of different statuses in Judaism. Kohen kodem Levi, Levi Yisrael, Yisrael l'mamzer, u'mamzer l'natin, v'natin l'ger, v'ger l'evid m'shukrar. E'matai, b'zman shekulan shavin. Aval im haya mamzer talmid chacham, v'kohen gadol am ha'aretz, Mamzer Talmid Chacham, Kodem Kohen Gadol Am Ha'aretz. A priest, a Kohen, supersedes a Levi, a Levi supersedes a Yisrael, an Israelite, an Israelite supersedes a Mamzer, the product of forbidden relationship. The Mamzer supersedes the Natin, a Natin is a member of the caste of temple servants, they were historically descended from the Givonim. A Natin supersedes a convert, a convert supersedes a freed slave. When, under what circumstances, when they are all equal. But if the mamzer is a talmid chacham, is a sage, and the kohen is an am ha'aretz, one who is, and it's specifically understood to be lax in observing priestly responsibilities, priestly halachot, ma'aser, tithing, and purity laws, then the mamzer, who is a talmid chacham, takes precedence before the kohen, who is an am ha'aretz. In this last Mishnah, we see some of those mitigating circumstances that can have an impact on the defaults that are established here. And that brings me back to the point of leadership, where the wise leader takes all those ethics from avot and applies them in a case-by-case basis for the individual or a situation that needs adjudication. It is, of course, the difference between writing a, a guidebook of halacha for anyone to peruse and know that he or she is covered if he or she is keeping those halachot as outlined in the book, as compared to pasketing for the individual needs of an individual who requires a personal halachic decision. The hadran with which we recognize the close of this seder is a brief statement that in a traditional setting is repeated and accompanied by Kaddish. It points out, says the Ravid, all the way from the 12th century, that our learning is not done, for we will return to this text in all its glory. For now, we will simply say, we will return to you, Seder Nizikin, and you will return to us. Our mind is on you, Seder Nizikin, and your mind is on us. 
We will not forget you, Seder Nizikin, and you will not forget us, not in this world and not in the world to come. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK, in collaboration with women from around the world who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying Your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjova.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag YourTorah.